everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, part of the Athletic Hockey Show Network. I like to say that. Makes it sound really important, which of course it is. Pierre Lebrun, I just wish there was stuff going on, you know, in this uh, period as we lead into the playoffs. Just wish there was stuff. Oh yeah, no, it's been, it has been an unbelievable week, really. Once again, crazy stuff happening. We're going to talk about all of it. And on top of that, what a great, a good, great timing. And I throw kudos to you, of course. Uh, Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly is going to join us on uh, later on this podcast and lots to discuss from the league perspective. Um, but let's start. But with- we should point out that was prearranged. <laughs> so he's not joining us. He's not joining us because of what happened with Tom Wilson. But despite, I guess, <laughs> I should point out. Well, yes, it, that's a very good point. Yes, the timing is everything. And again, uh, you had talked to Bill and he'd agreed to come on and chat with us. Uh, certainly before the um, <clears throat> brouhaha at Madison Square Garden Monday evening. Uh, involving Tom Wilson, no stranger to controversy uh, or controversial acts on the ice, and Pavel Buchnevich and Artemi Panarin, uh, of course, are uh, at the, the the end result of the skirmish. Artemi Panarin will not play in any of the Rangers' final three games, and as the scheduling gods would have it, one of those games this evening, after you and I are done taping this and after Bill joins us, the Capitals and Rangers will go back at it again. And, uh, uh, of course, one of the great, uh, you know, one of the, the, the main parts of this story is that Department Department of Player Safety uh, ruling that there would be no supplemental discipline in terms of a suspension, but that Tom Wilson would be uh, handed a $5,000 fine maximum allowed under the CBA. Um, Pierre, I'm, I'm curious what you, when you first saw what had unfolded at Madison Square Garden, what, well, what comes to mind for you? What's your, what was your first reaction to it? Well, I was holding my breath when I saw Panarin's head lying on the ice. Thank goodness that, uh, that wasn't more serious. That's the first thing I thought of. Um, I'm not surprised that Tom Wilson wasn't suspended. I mean, I, I, I thought he, I was hoping there was a way for player safety to just say, hey, this guy's dangerous and we're tired of him and and here we go, you're out for the rest of the regular season at least, if not more. But I didn't think that would happen just based on the fact that there is no precedent for suspending a player for ragdolling a player, to be honest. yeah, It, It actually happens a lot. It's just that this happens to be a player that has a long rap sheet and, um, you know, I, it, it, and it's fascinating to me to see the polarizing reaction to it. It really is seemingly a, a 50-50 situation, right? There are so many people who feel that, that you you know, Panarin went in there and, you know, don't poke the bear and it is what it is. And, and of course, you know, a lot of us that just don't want to see that kind of play ever again in the game. And it, I mean, I could go on forever. Like, like I, I struggle with getting too invested in this incident because you know how I feel about fighting in general and violence in the game. Like, are we really, really going to overreact to this one incident when I don't think there should be any fighting in hockey to begin with, which I've said for years. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, let's talk about the scab on your shoulder when, when you're actually dealing with a life-threatening disease. It's just hard for me. Like a lot of the reactions have been over the top on both sides of this. When I think we're not having, the actual conversation we should be having. Yeah. 
no, that goes I, way beyond this. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that's again, it's so hard to find perspective on this, and um, and 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 this is part of the world we live in with social media is that you, you there is no there's no really no room for nuance or well the, you know what's the mitigating factor and, and and really you know and I'm with you and and I and I'm I'm going to get to a question but but I think uh, you know for me the the obvious thing is oh my god like how could have been so much worse and and the people I talk to coaches and executives and that really is the underlying thing oh my gosh it could have been so much worse right I mean Panarin's helmet comes off in the melee and then as you point out you know the potential for him to go head first into the ice I don't even like to think about it because it just could have been so so much worse and but I'm curious in in the people that you talk to and given how you know listen you you're as connected as anyone in the game right I'm not I'm not blowing smoke um but i'm curious were there things that surprised you in the aftermath when you were talking to people or people reached out to you were there things you were like oh okay i didn't i'm surprised that people feel this way or this person felt that way like were there things that surprised you in the aftermath um in your discourse with people in the game i guess what i would say is that i'm surprised that there was very little in between sentiment like in other words I had a lot of former players reach out and say, that is not a suspension. That is a run-of-the-mill scrum moment. Thank God Panarin's okay, but there's no way that should be a suspension. And then I had other people in the game who was like, the Rangers deserve to be angry. I would be too. So complete, again, polarizing. And where I feel like there's there's plenty of room to be in the middle of this and look at all this. And um, yeah, it's... uh, (laughs) and, And certainly... The Ranger statement is probably what's going to be remembered way longer than the actual incident in many ways. I mean, that is a, that is some kind of statement. And uh, we'll see what the fallout is for that. And I, obviously, we'll ask Bill Daly about the Ranger statement because the league, as we tape this here, still hasn't responded to it. Right. And, of course, I, w- I wasn't burying the lead necessarily. But the fact that the Rangers did release a statement uh, Monday – or sorry, Tuesday – evening, uh, basically uh, um, expressing their displeasure with the fact that Tom Wilson was not suspended indefinitely, but taking it an even step further and suggesting that the head of the Department of Player Safety, George Peros, former player, of course, uh, was unfit for his post and uh, that he should be relieved of his duty. So uh, as you mentioned, Pierre, we will certainly be asking um, Bill Daly about the league's reaction to that. So um, we'll table that for a little bit later in the podcast. Um, and, and so we, we, this is one of those podcasts. We would probably talk for about three hours with all the stuff that has gone on, but what a crazy 24 hours for the Washington Capitals, uh, not, you know, even leading up to the, the Tom Wilson, um, incident, this is a Capitals team that was once again in the news and, and we'll start with our, our heartfelt um, condolences to TJ Oshie, whose father Tim uh, passed away, um, and so he had left the team for personal reasons, obviously. And and just as an aside, having spent some time talking to Tim Oshie in the past and talking to TJ Oshie about his father's battle with Alzheimer's, like what? And that moment when he's on the ice with TJ after winning the Cup in eighteen, man, that's it's just a moment forever. And so condolences to to TJ Oshie and his family as they go through this, but also the fact that Evgeny Kuznetsov and Ilya Samsonov were uh, disciplined by a team with, with the coaching staff, Peter Laviolette, and obviously Brian McClellan, the GM, 
for being late to a team function, not available to the game. Alex Ovechkin comes back from injury. Maybe he came back too early. Last, I think, one shift. I think he played less than a minute. And this is once again injured. I talked to somebody close to the Capitals uh, yesterday, and they were like, there is a lot of noise going on around this team. And I think that's probably putting it mildly. Yeah, and, you know, I stumbled across some info. And as I mentioned on Insider Trading, Scotty, I think the Caps um, would listen on trade offers for Kuznetsov after this season. I think that's where that's at, quite simply. So, I mean, usually that'd be a pretty big story to put out there, but it got a little buried by the Tom Wilson stuff and the Rangers. But but I think the Caps would absolutely listen on, on Evgeny Kuznetsov come this offseason. He's got four more years on his deal at 7.8 million AAV. So in a flat cap environment, not the easiest deal to move, but also a guy that was spectacular in the 2018 playoffs and, and is still a super talented player. So we'll see where this goes. And as I like to say, the playoffs have a way of sometimes changing minds and changing the narrative. So, you know, if he's, if he's the, uh, if, if the old Kuznetsov resurfaces in these playoffs, you know, maybe there's, that changes things. But at the moment, I think the Caps are, as an organization, are, I get the sense, are a bit irritated with them. Well, I mean, it's – and it's such a – I mean, timing is everything, right? And and here we are. We're a, a little more than a week. Let's call it 10 days from the start of the playoffs. Um, you know, the Capitals are still very much in the hunt to – win the East Division, uh, have home ice advantage uh, at the, maybe through the first couple of rounds. Um, but, uh, you know, like as, as you and I are speaking, they get two games in hand, two points behind uh, Pittsburgh. But, you know, this is a team that in a very, very tight competitive division, um, I, I, I got to think these are the, the last kinds of things that you want going on around your team as you and this is a team that has, you know, it's fallen flat in the playoffs the last two years, right? After winning the Cup in 18, they bounced in the first round by Carolina, looked just dreadful in losing to the Islanders in the first round in the bubble in Toronto last summer. And, and I really have felt for most of the season that with Peter Laviolette there, that this was a Caps team that, you know, was getting up off the mat, that they'd, re- that they'd rediscovered their swagger and, and maybe understood the urgency with Alex Ovechkin, you know, trending towards the end of his career, Nicholas Backstrom, uh, you know, that core of players. Uh, but this is this is real problematic, I think. And and I and if things don't go well in the playoffs, I think your point is an excellent one. I think the offseason will be fascinating for what this, you know, what lies ahead for this Caps team. Yeah. And, and again, that's why they hired Pierre Lavalette. I mean, part of the the approach in the offseason and making the coaching change was to bring in a firmer hand. Let's be honest, that, that that's what this was about. Um, and I think Peter Laviolette has done that. But uh, clearly, perhaps the message hasn't gotten through to everyone <laughs> in, that, in that dressing room. No question. Uh, all right. What else? We have? There was so much stuff going on. Uh, I, I, I got to tell well, you. I mean, I mean, listen, the, the thing that the thing that, you know, is too bad in all this is that this should have been the week where the only thing we're talking about is Connor McDavid. Ah, uh, yes. And, and, and the fact that, you know, this Tom Wilson thing, you know, I'm looking at ESPN and some other U.S. shows yesterday and it's Tom Wilson galore and not a single mention of Connor McDavid's yeah. uh, historical season. Yeah. Historical. Yeah. I mean, the fact that this guy may get, I mean, I think it's almost a done deal now. He's got 
93 points in 51 games. Like, how ridiculous is that in today's game? And and that should be the only thing we're talking about this week. Yep. To be honest, and it's and that's that's the that's what's crappy. Yeah. You know, about the news cycle here in the last couple of days. That's right, and that was you were t- you took the words literally out of my mouth. That there is you know this the, the story. The story is Connor McDavid, I, I, and the fact that he, like, is uh, you know, not, I hate to jinx him now, but I mean, seems like he will cross that hundred point threshold in this fifty six game schedule, and and just shows no signs of slowing down. I thought, you know, uh, it, it, to me, it's always fascinating uh, when you hear from people who were the greatest of the great, and and you had a chance to talk to Wayne Gretzky about Connor McDavid, and I always think that 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 helps to illustrate things a little bit you know, it puts him in the best context possible when you hear from a guy like Wayne Gretzky about something like this, because, um, you know, this is, this is a magical, it's magical in a time when we're pretty short on magic. This has been great theater and great drama. Uh, were you surprised at all by what Wayne Gretzky had to say about Connor McDavid? Wasn't surprised, but, but I, I, and I hope that my piece did it justice, but, but literally you could hear, the amazement in in Wayne's voice when he was talking about this, like like like, he sounded like the rest of us. But here's the guy Wayne Gretzky, the all time leading point getter in the NHL, the greatest player ever. He has eight. He owns eight of the ten greatest offensive seasons in the in, in the history books. And you could hear in his voice going, "Whoa, this is remarkable." <laughs> and so. If that doesn't grab your attention about what Connor McDavid is doing, then then I, I'm sorry, uh, because it really is amazing. I, I honestly never thought for the rest of our careers that we would see this kind of production from a superstar again. That that you know, nearly two points a game. That was just stuff from the '80s and '90s, right? And and you know, and also from two of the greatest players ever, and Lemieux and Gretzky. But I just felt we were just a game of change. The goalies are, you know, I, I just didn't think we were going to see it again. And I think that's part of the astonishment here is that Connor McDavid is doing this at a time when the goaltending's never been better. The system play, you know, he's got a target on his back and he just keeps finding a way. And, and I go back to a game recently where Montreal was in Edmonton and the Habs have been the one team that have actually mitigated a bit of McDavid's effectiveness this year. And Philip Deneau deserves credit for that. Um, but, and, and the narrative that started to build up, you know, McDavid, McDavid struggles against the Habs. And I was working that game for TSN and, and you just knew he was like, here it comes. <laughs> and he scored one of the great goals of the year where he basically goes end to end and uh, splits the D and, and scores an unreal goal and on his way to, I think, three points that night against the Habs. So enough with that narrative. But but he had been kind of held down by them until then. And, and my point is that his will, he can will himself to these nights, and he's done so with so much consistency. Uh, it, it, it just takes your breath away to see what he's doing here. It, it, it's one of truly one of the great, great seasons in NHL history. And I noticed some of the comments – uh, underneath my column with Gretzky, where that, oh, yeah, he's doing it in the North Division. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Go away. Like, come on. Really? You like, can... that's going to be the comment? Uh, Jeez Louise. 
You Canadians are so sensitive. I don't know what it is. But no, that, but I mean, why I'm would you want to take away from what the best uh, player in the world is doing? I, Come on. No. Uh, and so I, I want to – you have a great vantage point. Uh, I'm not sure who I'm most concerned about. Montreal, as they keep winning, and Cole Caulfield, Cole Caulfield continues to make an immediate impact. The, the collegiate star joining the Habs, scoring two straight overtime winners. Or am I more concerned about the Winnipeg Jets, who, as you and I speak, have inconceivably lost seven straight games, and now those two teams are tied at 57 points. They played 51 games each. Buddy, at some point, listen, this Montreal-Toronto series we've been talking about since... Well, 1979. I was going to (laughs) say since 1979. It's all of a sudden in jeopardy, and I'm not on for it. I've been... I have been, pe- I've penciled in that Habs leave first round series for weeks and weeks now. And now all of a sudden it's in, it's in jeopardy. Is it? Let me ask it as a question. Do you believe it's in jeopardy or do you think that the Jets actually, uh, uh, I talked to an executive the other day who said, listen, Jets aren't playing as bad as their record suggests. They were better than Ottawa the other night. You know, they haven't got any puck luck. They're going to start to win games, but geez, they have made it much closer than it should be. I still think the Jets end up third, and, and that's exactly it. I was watching that Senators game the other night, and uh, Winnipeg dominated. I mean, the slot shots after two periods, I think were like 15-2 for Winnipeg. Um, you know, they just one of those nights. And so, I think they've turned the corner. They were playing pretty darn lousy for a big stretch of the streak, but I think they've turned the corner. I think they're going to start winning games here. You know, the interesting the, – the, the vantage point that interests me since we just talked about it is that Edmonton has dominated Winnipeg all year, but has just been so-so against the Habs. And so I think I think the Oilers are probably sitting back there. They, of course, no one ever admits any of this, but my guess is Edmonton would would rather play Winnipeg. Uh, by the way, um, you know, and I don't know how the Leafs would feel in this. I mean, the Leafs still have the upper hand in the season series with the Habs, even though they lost the other night to Montreal. Um, so I think the Leafs are probably comfortable in, with either matchup. I mean, they just destroyed Winnipeg, right? The Leafs a couple of games ago, yeah, and back to backs about a week ago. So I don't think the Leafs really care. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, though, you know that you know that Habs matchup has other intangibles involved in it. If you're the Leafs, for sure, <laughs> there's no question about it. And you know, we've talked about this, but I think that Montreal team is is actually better built for the playoffs than it is for the wide open regular season brand of hockey that the North has delivered this year. I think the Habs are kind of like a fish out of water in this division that way. And come the playoffs, that kind of goes away. I mean, it becomes a different game, as we know. Fewer penalties and more of a grind. And I think that actually sets up better for Montreal than in terms of the way they were built than, than most teams in that division. But, um, you know, I could be wrong. But I do feel this is the year the Leafs, regardless of who they play, finally win a playoff series. <laughs> you put the jinx right on my man, my man, and we will, we'll get, we're going to start to find out. Hope, well, you know, ten days, two weeks, uh, we'll try and figure out the playoff schedule as we move along. All right, before we get to Bill Daly and, and take our first break, uh, a couple of things I want to hit on. I, I got to tell you, it, it's been. Uh, yeah, I've watched very closely the whole Central Division playoff race, which really is the only playoff race left, right? It's, with all due respect, Arizona in the West and 
you know, Calgary. It, it the only race that is still a real race is the spot, the race for fourth place in the Central Division, and a crushing overtime loss at, for the Dallas Stars to Nashville on Saturday night. Just a you know, they they just needed they needed to win. But what an inspirational run! For the Stars as a whole, given their schedule and how they started the season with the outbreak, but how great was it to see Tyler Sagan come back um, and, and our man, Saad Youssef, what a great job he did in, in chronicling Tyler Sagan's um, journey through hip surgery and uh, multiple other related surgeries to get back on the ice, scored a goal in this first game back. I, I got to tell you, I you know, to me, it's one of those things, I, I, I don't see how the Stars can actually make it, but... Man, what a what an inspirational story, and and how great was it to see Tyler Sagan on the ice for the first time since uh, Game Six of the Stanley Cup Final? Yeah, it really was, and 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 you know, good for sort of Tyler Sagan's peace of mind. I would imagine to be able to play some games before he's going to be off again for a long stretch, right? So, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't have wanted to go a year and a half without playing. Uh, so, you know, the NHL is penciled October twelfth tentatively as their start date for next season. But I got to think just, uh, you know, for peace of mind that, that this is the, the return is so important for a player of Tyler, Tyler Sagan's stature to be able to go into the off season. If, if the stars don't come back, let's not totally write them off. But, but if this is it here over the next week that, that he knows that, you know, he knows how he felt and he came back and he can work off that for his off season. Good stuff. Uh, all right. Before we uh, go to the break, I want to give you credit. I uh, And I always do, as you know, my friend. But I really enjoyed your polling of NHL coaches about the Norris Trophy voting. And uh, and I'm curious. Hey, I want to give you credit for it. But I was curious whether there were things that sort of surprised you about what coaches were saying about the Norris. Because there is, I think there is a lot of... You know, it's been a fascinating discussion because of the divisional play and because in, you know, sort of maybe whether it's analytics or just the the eye test. And maybe Victor Hedman, um, you know, has been has fallen back to the pack a little bit in terms of NHL elite defensemen this season. Were there things that surprised you about what coaches were telling you about how they viewed the Norris race and understanding that it's the writers, you and I and others uh, who will vote on the Norris, not the coaches? Yeah. So uh, listen, always important. I love talking to coaches as I go through my different award ballots every year. And, uh, and, but in this case, I decided to go all the way and actually make a piece out of it for the Norris. Um, and you know, I don't know if the, I don't know if I was surprised, but that was quite a landslide for Victor Hedman. <laughs> if uh, people should go check out the detailed poll that I, yes. as I detail all the ballots. It was really one-sided. 22 first-place votes out of the 31 coaches. And kudos to the coaches, by the way. All 31 got back to me. Um, and, and some of them admitted that they gave him the first-place vote, even though they know he's not having his greatest season ever. But I think the only thing you can deduce from that is that that's where they think he is still above everyone else. Right. Right? Yep. So that's fascinating. Um, you know, and, and I, I do think what hurt Adam Fox, who finished second in the poll, and pretty strong showing for Adam Fox, Probably, I think what hurt him is what may hurt him in the PHWA official voting is that some people are uncomfortable giving a first place vote to a guy who's on a non-playoff team. That's just reality. Yep. But still a strong showing. And I think that coaches around the league, a lot of them, had, I mean, let's see here, 21 of the 31 coaches had him somewhere on their ballot. So that's 
pretty predominant and good for Adam Fox. I guess you say surprise. I'm not surprised that, I mean, Shea Theodore, if you watch Vegas, you know how dynamic he is. But then I think for sure that every coach in the league was staying up to watch Vegas and paying attention. You know, Shea Theodore uh, was on 13 of the ballots. Yeah. Right? And so, you know, his stock has really risen over the last couple of years. And I was pleased for him that he had such a prominent place in this poll. Uh, Kale McCarr, no surprise there. Uh, so McCarr and Theodore were basically really close for third in this poll. So Hedman, Fox, and then McCarr, Theodore, really, really close. And um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, these are the guys, NHL coaches, that plan for D for matchups that are so aware of them. Now, I will certainly underline the fact that a lot of the coaches were quick to mention to me, this is a hard thing because I'm coaching within my division this year. I yeah. don't get to see all these guys. So, you know, but... It's interesting. A lot of them still had guys from other divisions on their ballot. So they obviously, you know, obviously watch other games. They talk to other people. So it was a pretty good cross section when I got the ballots in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting when the actual official voting happens with the selected members of the PHWA, how it manifests itself compared to the coaches here. It, it's, it is really, I mean, the whole process is going to be fascinating, whether it's, you know, are voting for the major awards, whether the broadcasters who vote for Jack Adams and the GMs who vote for the Vezina. Uh, I was I did a Q&A with Daryl Ray, Razor Ray from the Dallas Stars. He was terrific. We had a great long chat. So that'll be out later this week as well. But um, and we were and we were talking about Jason Robertson of the Stars and Kirill Kaprizov, of course, of the Minnesota Wild, who are, you know, sort of neck and neck in the, the rookie of the year. Uh, um, race and uh, so I asked him what he thought and he said the exact same thing that you did and what your coaches told you is that you know he's and the broadcasters vote on Jack Adams he says I've you know I've seen seven different coaches <laughs> well eight counting Rick Bonus in Dallas but you know that's the challenge when all of us as a voting group sit down to look at these uh, at these important awards um you know, for, for lots of people who cover one team uh, or are broadcaster for one team or GM of one team, it, it really, it, it is going to be a challenge. And it's going to require a lot of homework, I think, in, in terms of... Totally. And that's out. why, you know, I, obviously I've already done it with the Norris, but I'm going to want to talk to voices for pretty much every team in the league. I want to get a wide range of opinions before I fill out my ballot. And it's still not going to please everyone. At the end of the day, the biggest criticism will be that we're handing out league-wide awards when there was not league-wide hockey. And that is, that, that is true. I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah, true. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
All right, everybody, we're back. And as promised, joined by the NHL's Deputy Commissioner, Bill Daly. Bill, it has been a whirlwind 48 hours, give or take, uh, for the National Hockey League. And and let's just let's just dive right in. Um, and as Pierre and I were talking about earlier in the podcast, the Tom Wilson situation at Madison Garden Monday evening and the decision to find Tom Wilson, followed by um, a, a rather... Uh, um, harsh letter or press release from the New York Rangers uh, denouncing the the uh, league's decision. It, can we just start with with that? What's your reaction to the uh, the Rangers' response and the suggestion that George Peros should not be in his position as the head of Department of Player Safety? Well, I mean, I, I think um, certainly it was an emotional response, and I I can. Um, I'm sensitive to that and sympathetic to that. And certainly the Rangers feel strongly about their position. Um, and I think we've always endorsed the club's ability uh, to express its views. Um, you know, I can't endorse a personal attack against any of uh, league staff, particularly George. I think George um, is uh, a smart, hardworking, uh, hockey experienced um, uh Head of Department of Player Safety, I think he's done a fabulous job um, from day one. Uh, I think he continues to do a fabulous job. It's a tough job. It's a thankless job. Um, there are always uh, uh, there are always differences of opinion, um, and there will always be differences of opinion going forward. Uh, so, um, whether you agree with him or not, uh, the fact of the matter is, you know, George does his homework. Uh, he relies on precedent. Um, and he makes judgments. And, uh, you know, I, I respect the fact that the Rangers may disagree with this judgment, um, but I don't think it's, uh, you know, a, a reflection on, on George's ability to do his job. And Bill, I, I know that, uh, you know, you're, you're not part of player safety's decisions per se, but you are the deputy commissioner. So everything they do, uh, I know there's a lot of communication. I mean, I do personally believe that Tom Wilson should have faced discipline, Bill, for based on his record, not so much based on precedent. I understand where player safety is coming from on the actual events, but this is a guy that has done other things that have been violent. And so, you know, what's your concern about the fact that, you know, this is a player that maybe doesn't get the benefit of the doubt and only got a $5,000 fine? Well, well, I guess, <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess the track record of player safety vis-a-vis uh, -vis Tom Wilson um, kind of proves your suggestion that, that uh, you know, look, he's put himself in this position, uh, but the spotlight's on him and everything he does uh, is scrutinized uh, to the nth degree and probably far more uh, than other players doing similar things. Um, and again, he's earned that. He's put himself in that position. But the fact of the matter is that is how the, the Department of Player Safety has treated him over time. Um, so, you know, again, I can't get into the rationale uh, for this particular decision um, other than I think it's it was a little bit different than anything else he's ever done. Um, but uh, but the fact of the matter is he, he is held to a higher standard and probably rightly so. And I, I just want to follow up on the Ranger bit, uh, Bill. Will 
are there sanctions then that the league will are are expected to impose on the Rangers for their uh, public statement, or how what happens next vis-a-vis the Rangers and and the league as a result of this? I'm not really in a position to uh, um, to update kind of where we are. That's an internal league matter. Um, obviously, if and when there comes a point in time where there's something to announce in that regard, it'll be announced. And is a final point on this before we move on to other issues. Has there been communication, though, between you or the commissioner and, and the Rangers since that statement? Uh, I can't confirm that there has been since the statement, no. Okay. Um, and uh, Bill, I, as Pierre mentioned, we'll, we'll move along here. Uh, another incident that uh, came to light over the last week or so uh, involved Jake Vertanen of the Vancouver Canucks and allegations of a sexual assault uh, involving that player. And I just was uh, looking for some uh, clarity or some um, understanding on what the league's role is in that situation. I know he's lo- no longer um, an active part of that uh, roster right now but how does the league what's what's the league's role in in this situation well i I, you know i think the the club was was made aware of the situation um relatively recently uh i mean very recently uh and uh in turn they made us aware of the situation we discussed uh, uh how best to handle that situation um and uh it that that involved the the club um uh, commencing an investigation. That's what they're doing. Um, and really that's all I can say about it. We, I, I, I'm not, uh, aware of, uh, I'm aware of the allegations. I'm not aware of any of the facts underlying the allegations or, or anything like that. Uh, so it would clearly be premature and improper for me to, to comment on something I really know nothing about. Right. Just as a follow up though, I presumably at the end of the, I believe there's a third party, group that's been involved in or uh, commissioned to come in and help, help with that investigation. I assume that the league will be monitoring that and then pending the outcome of it, then the league may or may not have uh, something to say about whether he can continue to play or, or whatever happens down the road. Is that fair? Again, I, I think it's all premature to kind of speculate as to how this plays out. Um, but, but obviously, you know, we, we, uh, certainly would be uh, interested and and would act appropriately if 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 wrongdoing uh, is found. Speaking of the Canucks, and then move on to some uh, some hockey things here, Bill. Um, it, it is absolutely a, a certainty, right, that the Canucks will play out their regular season schedule regardless of if they're eliminated here in the coming week or two. I know there's been some, you know, some people wondering. If the North Division playoff berths are all locked up, you know, why does Vancouver have to keep playing these games? But what would be your your comment on that? Yeah, that's our expectation. I mean, look, we 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 play full seasons. Uh, there's a there's a lot of things that are triggered um, by teams playing less than the requisite number of games. Um, uh, you know, we're not really that far outside of the window we had we had planned all along uh, in terms of being within. Um, so in that regard, I'm not sure it's any really different than, than a number of other scenarios we face every year with, Mm -hmm. uh, with games that may not be meaningful, uh, to the final playoff picture. Right. And you mentioned, I mean, the the buffer week that you guys had, 
talked to the, openly about at the start of the year has been used uh, for all the games that needed to be rescheduled because of COVID. Um, and, and, you know, knock on wood, here we are <laughs> in the final stretch here. Uh, what's your sense of when the playoffs can begin then? I mean, clearly the U.S. teams are in a position to, to likely begin before the Canadian teams. Well, I mean, we are in the final stretch. I guess that's the good news. Um, you know, as we've done with everything, you know, since COVID hit, um, we try to take as much time as we possibly can to see where the world is and, and how facts have unfolded before we make um, decisions or, or make decisions prematurely. So, um, you know, we haven't, uh, I, we certainly have in mind uh, what we will do with the playoffs uh, currently, if nothing changes between now and then, but we've not made that announcement yet. Uh, I certainly, you know, expect that uh, one possibility would be to to start um, uh, the West, Central, and East uh, a couple days sooner than the North. Bill, a great, um, a lot of discussion, I think, about well, what happens to the North Division, not just. You know, when it starts, which is, of course, is of interest to fans everywhere. But what happens uh, as the playoffs move along? And and, and there, I, my understanding is that there was some discussion uh, at, on some level about, well, is there should those four Canadian playoff teams, would they be better served going to American cities, uh, NHL cities where there aren't playoff teams, but where fans could possibly pay uh, buy tickets and come and watch games, which of course isn't uh, the the case in Canada. Um, is is that still on the table, or is your expectation that the first two rounds of the North Division playoffs will be held in the Canadian um, markets, or how how do you think that'll play out? Well, again, without the benefit of having completed the season, it's it's somewhat speculative. Uh, but I, I will say, I don't think it's ever been a, a, a realistic consideration to have four teams come south and play in four different markets. Um, I, I think we've considered uh, as a, uh, you know, a, as a safety net, uh, the possibility of moving all four teams to one location uh, in the United States and potentially playing um, the first two rounds of the playoffs there in, in a worst case scenario. Uh, where a judgment is made that, um, you know, it, it may be the, the safest place to be. Um, I, I don't think we're there. And clearly, uh, I would tell you, and I've confirmed this recently, uh, it is the preference of our Canadian teams to play out of their home markets, uh, if and, and to the extent it's possible. Right. So clearly, the, the bigger question, I guess, Bill, is what happens to the Canadian division winner after the second round, for obvious reasons, with the border restrictions that are still in place. Uh, it, it, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, which I often am. It, it really comes down to one last conversation with the Canadian government about whether that Canadian team could keep playing, right? With, well, with I'm not just sure it's one last conversation oh, right. as, as opposed to ongoing conversations. Um, right. You know, we're engaged in that process now. Uh, I can't give you a, a sense of where I think we are. Um, you know, I, I do think the the fact that they're they entertained having the conversation uh, indicates that uh, it's certainly not out of the question uh, for uh, an exemption to be granted that would permit uh, a U.S. based club to travel into Canada without quarantine and a and the Canadian club to travel to the United States and back without quarantine. So. 
um, you know, again, ongoing uh, discussion. Uh, don't have a conclusion yet, but uh, I guess the good news of that is we're not in the third round of the playoffs until uh, mid-June, best case. So um, nothing that has to be decided in the next uh, week to 10 days. It, uh, I, if I read correctly, uh, I think this weekend will mark a uh, point where at least some fans have are able to go into <clears throat> all of the American-based uh, arenas. And I assume that's uh, good news for all of the American-based clubs. Do you have a sense, Bill, of what, you know, how things are trending? And I know Pierre talked to Bill Foley in Vegas. The, the, you know, what kind of what we might see come playoff time in terms of, you know, the numbers uh, of fans that might be allowed to come in and see playoff games in, in those American markets? Do you have a sort of handle on, on, on what that looks like and, and how important it is? Well, well, first, I will confirm that I do believe uh, that before the end of the regular season, uh, all 24 uh, of our U.S.-based clubs will be in a position where they're hosting uh, fans. Um, uh, obviously, we're not in that position in Canada. Um, with respect to the number of fans, it, it is primarily uh, a function of what the local health uh, authority and restrictions are. Um, we also have protocols in place with respect to how uh, uh, what is required to expand capacity and to what extent. Um, and some of those are, are, are fairly scientific formulas with respect to air circulation within buildings and, and physical construction and geometry of buildings. Um, uh, so, you know, I'm not going to get into a, a lot of detail on that. Um, but obviously, uh, we have a number of clubs who've been able to expand uh, their percentage of capacity over the course of this season. And I would expect that that may continue uh, into the playoffs. This is kind of a weird one, Bill. But um, and I think I asked you this uh, in an email recently. But just to clarify, I thought there was talk that if it made geographical sense that there could be a 2-3-2 in these playoffs in a specific you know, like let's say Edmonton played Montreal in the first round. I, is that a possibility? Um, it uh, the, a, a possibility, I, I guess. Um, I, I don't believe in the first round. Okay. Um, I, I, and I don't, and I don't want to suggest that it's actively being considered. I, I will tell you that uh, we have addressed the two three two versus two two one 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 issue repeatedly uh, with our clubs and with our general managers. And from a competitive standpoint, it's not something that our clubs embrace. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that's probably why it's not an active consideration. Um, would I rule it out? No, I wouldn't rule it out because I won't rule out anything uh, <laughs> before I have to rule out anything. Right. Well, I meant just for this year, obviously not for something to, to look forward to past this yeah, year. Yeah, no, but all I'm saying is, you know, if, if, if health circumstances were such that, uh, you know, a 2-3-2 uh, was, was important, then uh, sure, we'd consider a 2-3-2 and, and, and as a league and, and uh, our constituent clubs. But we're mm. not in that position currently. And right. so I don't think it's a current, you know, I don't think it's currently being contemplated. Gotcha. Bill, you mentioned the protocols and the formulas for the fans being allowed into buildings. It's certainly lots of discussion on some levels about the protocols for 
players and teams and teams personnel, and especially in the United States where the vaccines are much more readily available and the number of players and staff who have been fully vaccinated is 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 growing on a daily basis. A, can you can you give us an update on where we're at with in terms of percentage of players and or team personnel that 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 you understand are fully vaccinated and whether there might be a loosening of protocols as we move forward, knowing that it's the most critical time of the year? Um, so I, I, I am hesitant to give throw out percentage numbers in part because I'm not sure I would have the most current. Um, I do expect um, to have more information uh, over the balance of this week. Um, obviously, the number of and the percentage of, of vaccinated individuals uh, among our U.S. clubs uh, continues to increase. Um, and it, it, for certain for certain clubs uh, is quite high. Um, and as a result of that, um, you know, obviously not not the same in in Canada. Uh, but as a result of that, we are in discussions with Players Association and we have uh, made the clubs aware um, that we are uh, looking at uh, potentially revising uh, some of the protocols uh, for, uh, individuals who are fully vaccinated and uh, teams uh, that are deemed fully vaccinated. Uh, there's a percentage standard we'll put in uh, for those teams, and that you know that that would take effect uh, with the first round of the playoffs. Uh, again, again, not issued yet. Uh, still a work in progress, still being worked on, um, but uh, but it is being actively looked at. Could could you sort of like? Uh, not ballpark, but could you give us a sense of what kinds of things might, you know, could players go and have a coffee or a beer on a patio or what kinds of things do you think we'd be talking about in terms of, you know, affecting the, you know, the, the protocols and the lifestyles of, of players and staff who've been pretty much locked down for, for all of this season? Yeah, I, I do think, you know, we're anticipating uh, the ability of kind of fully ac- vaccinated clubs uh, um, having uh, less uh, precautionary requirements, uh, whether it be mask wearing or, or, or social distancing uh, or social gatherings or being able to do more things outside um, the, the home or the arena, um, potentially uh, eating at restaurants. Um, there are uh, there are a variety of things uh, that um, are being considered and, and uh, may be effective. Um, for those clubs who, who qualify. And Bill, uh, one last vaccination question. What's your sense when talking to the seven Canadian clubs, but I guess especially the four clubs that are likely playoff bound about where they are on, on their vaccination schedule, which is clearly way behind as, as we are here in Canada, but because the playoffs are around the corner, um, you know, there will come a time because, uh, you know, we're beginning to widen the net here in Canada for people getting their first shot that players will have access to it, right? Yeah, I, I think that's true, Pierre. I, I, I would say I've been given no indication at this point in time that we should have any realistic expectation of, of um, vaccinations and, you know, being made available in a widespread manner to uh, to members of, of our Canadian clubs, uh, you know, during the balance of the spring and into the summer. Um, having said that, I, I am given indication and reason to believe that, you know, certainly uh, people are hopeful 
that we will be in a, that position, you know, by the start of training camp next year. So um, I guess a long-winded way of saying, I, I don't think there's any expectation that that happens uh, during the balance of this season, uh, but hopefully it happens in time for next season. You mentioned next season, Bill. We now officially have a 32nd NHL team in the uh, Seattle Kraken who fulfilled their uh, financial obligations and are fully vested member of the club. Uh, do you have any updates on the draft, which, of course, will involve the Seattle Kraken um, and maybe the idea that, you know, whether uh, prospects are going to be able to gather in some location or just because it won't be a, a traditional draft, obviously, um, in late July. But are there are there some plans that, that may, you know, sort of add some wrinkles and make things a little bit different than what we saw with the October draft? Well, um, I guess the only thing that I could really point to as being uh, materially different uh, would be that I know there are efforts uh, to try to... Uh, to get prospects together uh, over the course of a three-day period, maybe uh, sometime in early July, um, particularly um, you know can Canadian major junior prospects uh, who either didn't have a season at all uh, or who had a very limited season, uh, getting a group together uh, for uh, NHL clubs to have the opportunity to observe firsthand. Um, again, not ideal, certainly not, uh, uh, you know, uh, reflective of, of what you'd see in a, in a competitive situation, but maybe just some idea. Um, you know, we'll move forward with the draft on July 23rd and 24th. It'll be a virtual draft. Uh, it will be similar in form to what we did in October. Um, I do expect uh, that the second day of the draft will go much quicker. <laughs> Um, then the second day of the draft did uh, this past year. I certainly hope that's the case. Um, uh, part of that will be on the television production side uh, as opposed to the operation side. But uh, um, I, I hope our fans can anticipate a, um, uh, a shorter second day. Okay. Last question. I know you got to go. We've gone too long. But I would not sleep tonight if I didn't ask you about the Olympics um, I mean, you guys got to put a schedule together for next season and, um, you know, time's out of the essence here. I got to think that by the end of May, early June, that you need to know if you have a deal with the IOC for Beijing. Am I right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I, I think, um, you know, I, I would imagine we need to know sometime this month um, for sure. Uh, and I, I can't tell you, um, I, you know, I've been updated regularly uh, with respect to kind of where the IIHF thinks it is in that process. Um, but no answers yet. So, uh, you know, we don't have an answer. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll say that uh, both we and the Players Association are doing what we need to do to be prepared uh, if the answer is a positive one. Um, uh, but, uh, but time will tell. Just, just, and just to clarify that though, Bill. So let's say if you, if you have a point where you need to know, and there's no communication, the IOC can't, for whatever reason, can't come to the table with an answer. Is, is it possible that you and the players association could say, well, we're, oh, we're, we're done. We have to move, we're moving on and, and our season will, will not include the Olympics. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, by implication, that is the result. Um, everybody knows we, we, we need to have a schedule for next year. We need to have a plan for next year. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that you guys wanted to talk about were our events for next year. Well, they're very much dependent <laughs> on, on whether we're going to the Olympics or not going to the Olympics. So a lot hangs in the balance on that. Um, you know, I, I, I would also say, um, you know, would be naive, uh, to think that the, you know, the, the, the IOCs, uh, or the Olympic worlds, uh, revolve around us. Um, they don't, they've got a lot going on. Uh, they've got, uh, summer games to put on and, and, you know, a couple of months, um, you know, having the Beijing game so soon after the Tokyo games, uh, I would imagine is a challenge on many levels. Um, and so, you know, I, I think to some extent, I think the delays we're seeing are very predictable. Good stuff. Right. All right, Bill, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us as, as always, and certainly lots of news going on, but uh, thank you for taking the time and, and sharing your insights as always. Anytime guys, you know, uh, I'm happy to do it. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. All right, guys. All right, my friend. Oh, as always, when we uh, chat with Bill Daly, a lot to unpack. But boy, with given the news here, let's let's circle back. I'm curious your response uh, to how Bill characterized the uh, the New York Rangers press release. I thought he might be a little bit more short, but he seemed a little bit more. I was a little bit surprised that um, he seemed to be at least outwardly a little bit more zen than I thought he might have been, given the tone of the Rangers release. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be that, you know, we're talking to a guy that be, uh, between the COVID situation and the pandemic and everything else happening in, in Bill Daly's life in the last year, you know, as important as this story is, there's been a lot going on for the deputy commissioner <laughs> over the last year. So, I, I, I almost feel like that's like, you know, do you know what his day's like? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm glad that obviously we had... I really wanted to address it, not just that we had to address it. I wanted to address it. Clearly, him and I disagree. I mean, I, as I said, I think Tom Wilson should have faced discipline. But you know, I, I you know, it's 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 what's interesting to me in all of this, and that's why I asked, even though I knew I would get shut down, is, is what the conversation would have been like between the league and the Rangers after that statement. Uh, yeah, that that would have been. A fly on the wall moment for me, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, who knows whether the shoe drops because, and I think you pointed out, I mean, the, the league historically does not like people speaking out of turn, right? They, and especially, mm -hmm. you know, sort of on that club level. And they have taken a, a hard stance in the in the past in terms of fines of, and those kinds of things. So, so uh, two, two other takeaways, Scotty, because uh, I know we got to move on here, but... And a bit of news dropped by Bill Daly, I thought, in our interview. One is that uh, working on loosening the COVID protocols for the U.S.-based teams. Agreed. Uh, for those who are fully vaccinated. Um, you know, going back to Robin Leonard's comments, I think that would be of great value and of interest to those players. And I also feel for the Canadian players, we won't get any of that. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and finally, our last question on the Olympics. Boy. Far from a done deal is Beijing. Uh, that's a little worrisome for those of us who can't wait to see the NHL players back in the Olympics. Man, oh man, the clock's ticking on that one. And, and, and I get it. It's not like the NHL and NHLPA can force it. They need the IOC to come to them. And the IOC is pretty busy 
trying to figure out if Tokyo is, you know, going to go off without a hitch. But man, that's uh, uh, about a month ago here, don't you think? Well, yeah, it sounds like even less than that, really, when if Bill's talking about the end of the month, and here we are, you know, into the end of the first week of May. And, and I, I got, listen, you know, these kinds of things, there's, you know, historically, there's been some posturing and the debating and what is the deadline. But my sense of this is, this is not, no one's pounding the table from the, the NHL, NHLPA side, but it did sound very much to me like, Hey, we will have to make some decisions moving forward. And if we have to move forward without uh, the Olympics being part of it, then that's exactly what we'll do. And, and, and I don't, you know, and correct me if you think I'm, I'm off base here, but my sense is that the NHL and the NHLPA are pretty much in lockstep on all of this because it needs to get done and the IOC needs to come to the table and answer a lot of questions and, 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 and cover, you know, whether it's coverage of insurance and travel costs and marketing issues, all those things, both the league and the players association are on the same page on that. And there is also an understanding. You can't, you can't be having this discussion in October. And right. if it, if it doesn't get done, then I'm, I got, I, 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 I also got a sense of, yeah, it's uh it, we may we may be looking at um, the NHL not being part of the Olympics. Yeah, let's hope that's not the case. That's uh, honestly that would be brutal. Uh, just the idea yeah. of, of of the the next wave of young stars that have yet to play in the Olympics. Well, so many, but from McDavid to Matthews to McKinnon, uh, Victor Hedman, who's not even a kid, has never played in the Olympics. And, and I know when talking to him in the past, how much it would mean to him, uh, it just would be gut-wrenching. And to answer your question, yes, I think the league and the PA are in lockstep on this, uh, except for one very important thing is that this matters way more, I think, to the players than it does to the, to the yeah. owners. Right, for uh, sure. So, yeah. my friend uh, looking at some of the questions folks have sent in and it's not surprising a uh, number of them have to do with the tom wilson ranger situation but I, i'm going to ask you this question this comes from james bergall and it's something you alluded to in terms of the of, of fighting in the nhl and this is his question how come the nhl seems so intent on ridding the league of fighting when it has such high entertainment value there's only two times when the whole crowd stands up a goal in a fight and i want to ask i want to ask that question to you know you and i can discuss it but i also think it's interesting given the backdrop that we're now headed into a brand new broadcast uh relationships with espn and turner sports i wonder what those folks are thinking or what do you think they're thinking as they watch what happens with tom wilson and you know, the coverage and maybe imagine how they would have covered a similar kind of situation once they're the national broadcasters in the U.S. What, what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, well, first of all, I think the premise of the question is a bit wrong. I, I don't think the league has really done away with fighting. I, I think fighting is on the decline of in its natural evolution. Agreed. Like it's not like the league has done anything specifically in the rule book to say that you can't have an enforcer. The enforcer has gone by the wayside because you can't skate in today's game. So, you know, whether you want to give the league grief or credit <laughs> depends on your vantage point of how you feel about fighting. But my point is, I, I don't think the league had anything to do with that. I, I just think that as the game has continued to, to move along in modern times, 
only people that can skate are playing in the NHL. True. So that's number one. Um, you know, if you really wanted to actually, as a body, get rid of fighting, you would you would impose game misconducts, if not suspensions for fighting, which which you know you don't have. You know. Yep. I mean, I mean, I mean, imagine if you had an automatic one game suspension every time you fought. Now that would be doing something about getting rid of fighting, but that but that's not the case. So, so again, fighting has just gone by the wayside, uh, or at least there's less fighting. Uh, simply because of the nature of how the rosters are populated now, so that's number one. But yeah, but the, but the, the rest of the question is, is bang on. I mean, or, or at least your question that you know you've got a the biggest TV partner ever here in ESPN, and Turner's come on. You know, you want to be talking about Connor McDavid is what you want to be talking about, pure and simple. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and it's funny. I, I now that it, I don't even think about it. <clears throat> And maybe you you know the answer to this or not? Do you think like do you, like when you're watching highlights and whether it's on TSN or Sportsnet or NBC Sports, or whatever? Like, I, I, do you, are there highlights of fights now? God, my sense is oh, yeah, I, 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 st- I still think you see it here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes because it's like, oh, there was a fight. I mean, you don't see that. You don't see that many fights anymore. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, my friend, that was fine work by you. That was, uh, that was a lot of news. That was a very newsy podcast for us today. So uh, good work by you. Um, what else we got on the uh, on the list here? Let's talk about this. this uh, I'm fascinated by this. Ned Coletti, the former GM of the Los Angeles Dodgers and current pro scout of the San Jose Sharks, spends the full 60 with Craig Custins at The Athletic. Um, and... Uh, Katie Strang discusses the latest on Jake Vertanen's sexual assault case and the Vancouver Canucks with Jeff Patterson and Thomas Drance on the VanCast. And Vegas Golden Knights insider Gary Lawless. I, you know, I, I hear from Gary every once in a while. What a what a great gig he's got in Las Vegas. Uh, and he's done such a great job there since moving from Winnipeg. He's Mike Russo's guest this week on Straight from the Source. How do you feel about Gary Lawless, my friend? The, the Wild having won five in a row against the <laughs> Golden Knights. Whoa. <laughs> I love Gary Lawless. He's a good man. He is a good man. Former teammate of yours at TSN, right? A big CFL guy. Yeah. Yep. yeah. does a great job out west. Uh, all right. You should uh, check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app and rate and subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash hockey show and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Buddy, when we reconvene next week, we will be literally days away from the start of the NHL playoffs, hopefully. Um, I can't wait for it, but uh, good work by you today. Right on, right on. 